are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 22. Been there since 2005, so they're just not starting out. They've been there for going on 16 years, and that's, that's, that tells a lot about a missionary to stay on the field and, and work the work all those years. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 will begin down at verse 1. It is always important anytime you open the Bible, because we gather once a week, is to remind ourselves of the context of what we're looking at, because you just can't launch into any Bible passage, especially a narrative of the gospel, without understanding the perimeters and what's going on in the setting that we find ourselves in in Jesus' teaching. It is the last few days before his death. It is probably Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. And he is in the temple precinct, and he has been confronted by the scribes and Pharisees. He has been challenged. They are out for blood. They have interrupted his teaching. And he sets before them a series of stories and parables. And that's what we've been looking at. This is the very last parable that he's going to give. Now, when Jesus taught, he had an audience, obviously. He had the group that had come to actually hear him. He had the group that was interested in him. But the target of these four parables was not either one of those groups, although he wanted them to listen. His target was the outer group of scribes and Pharisees who wanted to kill him, to remove him off the scene. Now, Jesus spends four parables reaching out to this group. That's something to be noted because he just didn't move his group to another part of the temple. He didn't have his followers remove this group. He kept talking to them. This would be the last parable that he gave them. And I want to go to the end of the parable because I want you to see their reaction to the parable, to the story. So chapter 22, verse 15, this is the result of this and the last three or four stories. Verse 15 says, then the, then the Pharisees went out and plotted how to entangle him in his words. So that was the result of the sermons. That was the result of his preaching. Uh, it didn't reach them. It infuriated them. And they sought his death with more fervor, with more heat. So knowing that, I want you to see these targeted parables as we look at them in verse 1 of chapter 22, this being the last. And, ag and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. Notice Jesus spoke to them. You, you don't keep talking if you've given up. Married couples who quit talking have given up. Friends who quit talking have given up. Politicians who quit talking have given up. It's just the way it goes. You don't work at something like communication if you have no hope. We've all had those experiences with other human beings where we've kind of written them off, and let's just say it, we have, and we no longer want to be in their presence or talk to them. Jesus was still trying to reach these scribes and Pharisees who with the glare in their eye, he knew what they wanted to do. When does God ever give up 
on a human being. When does he ever stop talking? I would suggest he never gives up. He never stops talking. He never writes anybody off until they stop breathing and then it's too late. So Jesus in his love and compassion, I mean, he could have targeted the story to the groups who were interested and he wanted them to hear this story, but I'm telling you the targeted audience was these guys, were these guys who wanted his, his, his blood. Notice he talks to them in parables and he says this in verse two. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Everybody got, got it down? King, it's the king's wedding. No bride is mentioned, but he wants to have a feast. If, if you will stop and, and think about when Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to this or to that, it is always something filled with joy. There is no drudgery in the kingdom of heaven. There is drudgery in religion. There is drudgery in this world. But when the kingdom of heaven is mentioned, I mean, who, who doesn't love to go to a wedding? All right, let me back up. Who doesn't love to go to a wedding feast after the wedding's over? Amen. Uh, I would prefer a funeral over a wedding simply because if you mess a funeral up, you get no complaints by the fellow. But if you mess a wedding up, you got to look at the bride the rest of your life if she's around. But here is this joyous festival of celebration and the kingdom of heaven is always targeted to that kind of celebration. Notice it goes on. So he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Sends his servants out. Now I'm going to suggest to you, because he's going to do this three times, the king. One, two, three times he sends his servants out. These are going to, I'm going to suggest to you, covering three historical moments in time. Specific. This first is targeted to the Jewish nation, and it's targeted up to the point that Jesus is talking at this time, up to the crucifixion itself. The second, we'll see where that lands on a historical narrative. Show you that in a minute. But notice he sent his servants out. In this case, if we're talking about that historical narrative, the disciples who went out and preached the gospel while he was in ministry on the earth, and as they shared the gospel and invited people to Jesus, notice the general response was, they would not come. Not that they couldn't come. They wouldn't come. Decision of the will. They shut him off. Now, if I'm a king, and I've got this feast that I've prepared, and I've taken the trouble to send my servants out, and they have invited you, and you have not made any excuses why you couldn't be there. You just looked at them and said, I will not be there. I don't want to come. I'll never forget when I was a kid. Uh, by the way, when, when kids and grandkids get their feelings hurt by others, that's a real deal and you ought to really listen to it. I remember as a seven, eight-year-old boy inviting a couple of fellows up to play baseball. And uh, they were brothers. And they lived in town. And I was out in the country. I had a great field. And 
I remember on the phone. I remember on my parents' bed sitting where, I can show you where I was sitting, when I called them and said, hey, how about you guys, let's, let's play a game of baseball. And this is what they said to me. They said, not only can we not come, but even if we could, we don't want to come play baseball with you. Now I got my peelings hurt at that point. When it's a decision of the will, it isn't that I can't, I don't want to. That's the last invitation they would get. I never picked the phone up and invited them to play baseball again. That was over. I went and found some new friends. But notice the king is not like us. He sends the servants out again. Notice he would not. Verse 4. Again, he sent out, notice, not the same servants. Other servants. I think we're going into the book of Acts now. I think we've got a church now. I think we've got a bunch of servants who are preaching the gospel in Israel, in the land of the Jews, to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. But you remember when the first church was first born, it was almost exclusively Jewish. It was a big deal to let you and I in. It was almost all Jewish. So we have other servants now who go out and notice what they do. He says, tell those who are invited. This is specifically the Jewish nation. Tell the Jewish nation, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves. No skinny calves. I've got big ones. They got a lot of meat. And I've got my table full. They've been slaughtered. Notice everything is ready. Then he says, this is what you got to do. Come to the feast. Now, I pull out of the present message at the point to tell you something that you already know, that the gospel is completed. We don't add anything to it. We don't add human effort. We don't try to be good Christians. We don't discipline ourselves in order to be closer and closer to God because everything in Christianity is finished. It's done. We have entered in at the moment of our salvation a work that is done. And all he wants us to do, ready, is eat. Come and eat. I spent the first 18 years of my Christian life working in a thousand different ways of being pleasing to God. And it was a day of great glory to me when I realized he's already pleased with me. And now I walk as a child before my father every day in the banquet of his love and presence and I don't have to pray a prayer, and I don't have to do a thing to get there. I pray because I, we are there, okay? So you know that. You know that. We preach that all the time down here. But let's go back. Notice he said, I, I've slaughtered everything. Everything, it will come to the wedding feast. Notice there's two different reactions now, beginning in verse 5. But they paid no attention, and they went off. Notice one to his farm. Notice it wasn't the Lord's farm. It was his farm. He went on and says, he went to his farm and another to his business. So that's the first reaction. They just went about their business. They ignored it. Look at the second group. While the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. It wasn't too long in launch into the church that Herod grabbed James and thrust him through with a sword. 
It wasn't long before a man named Stephen stood and preached and was stoned to death. That shameful treating of the servants of God. Stephen looked up into the glory of heaven and Jesus stood up to receive him. But I'm telling you, Paul was one of the ones, Saul was one of the ones orchestrating the the stoning. So this is how they treated the initial servants of the church who went out and preached the gospel. Notice the king's reaction. It is in the historical record. The king's reaction, he was angry, verse 7. The wrath of the king, and he sent, notice, his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. I would suggest to you this is the burning of, of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by the troops of Rome. But if that application applies, Jesus talks about them being the king's troops. The righteous hand of God judged the nation in 70 AD, and there was not a stone on top of another stone throughout the city of Jerusalem. Well, let's go on to the third historical narrative because that's where we are today. Notice verse eight. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready But those invited were not worthy. Why weren't they worthy? They weren't worthy because they simply would not come. They did not believe. That's what caused them to be unworthy. It had nothing to do with the unrighteousness of their life. It had nothing to do with their treating of the servants. It had everything to do with simply not believing. They charged themselves unworthy in that way. Notice verse 9. It's probably the most astounding verse and one that ought to excite those in America and Papua New Guinea and all around the world because it now opens up in a beautiful way. Look at verse 9. Wedding feast is ready and those invited not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads. Go to the thoroughfares. Go to the places you could find the most people. Go to the interstate. Go to the main road and invite to the wedding feast. Notice, as many as you can find. I love that. The indiscriminate offer of the gospel to as many people as you can come across. No select few. No chosen elect. He says, go out and invite anybody you bump into. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how they're acting or living. No, no application to fill out. Just find them. Isn't that beautiful? Share wherever you are in whatever circumstance you get, whether it's in a classroom, whether it's at the gas station, whether it's lying in the hospital. I got a good text from Steve Williams this morning uh, who has been in the hospital for a week and a half that he believes he's going to come home today. Let's hope that happens and pray he does. But Kathy Text me last night and said, Steve's feeling better. He's talking to the nurses about the Lord. Here's a man lying on his, let's not say it, on a very sick bed. Touch and go. We're all on pins and needles whether Steve's going to make it out. And what is he doing down there? He's talking to the nurses about the Lord. Everywhere you are, to no matter who you run into. There's nobody we ever ought to meet anywhere we go. Boy, they'll never get saved. It's the roughest among us that is the most open to it. 
It's the best candidate we see in our eyes that probably will stiff arm us the most. I love this. Indiscriminate. Wherever you are, share it, share it, and keep sharing it. It's the only message this world has of any good in these days or really any day. The only message of hope. Notice verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found. They didn't care if they were bad or good. They just wanted the wedding hall was fit so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love this, don't you? Here we are. We're, we're in the, by the way, I don't think this is future. I think this is right now. We're in the, med, now there's going to be the great supper of the lamb. But it's celebration time now among us. We are in the festival of the lamb. We are eating of his of his, I almost said porridge. We are eating of his food, of his bread. We are enjoying him. Ah, verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Apparently the guests were given something to wear on their way in. Something to dress with. This man was out in this group without a wedding garment. And he said to him, notice how he addresses him, doesn't he? addresses him, friend, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And notice he was speechless. I, I find it interesting he had nothing to say. Like maybe, where's the wedding garment? I'd like to put it on. He was silent. He was there, had nothing to say. Then the king said to the attendants, by the way, what is this? I think, it's, I think it's the church throughout the ages because we would be naive to think that everyone who signs a, a membership role in a church is saved and born again. Not. This is those who come to the festival who don't have a wedding garment on. This is what happens. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be, you think, you think, the king is serious about the wedding feast. You think he's serious about his son and the honor to his son? This man had dishonored his son by refusing the wedding garment, but he wanted to be around in the area. Cast him into outer darkness in that place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here's the verse. <laughs> People have struggled over this one for a long time. Look at verse 14. It's hooked to the story. You just can't pull it out. It says, For many are called, but few are chosen. I so wish Steve was here this morning. He loves this verse. He struggles with this verse. He teaches this verse. He battles with this verse. Whenever this recording is shown, Steve is, is watching at home, recovering. Uh, he'll, he'll move a little closer to the TV. For many are called, what does this mean? D.L. Moody was preaching years ago, the great D.L. Moody. And as he was preaching, uh, one of the men on stage was one of his mentors that he looked so up to in the ministry, uh, in admiration. And he got to this verse and he said, I'm going to change a word with Dr. So-and-so's permission and see what he thinks. And Moody read it like this, for many are called, but few are choice. And he turned to his friend, and his friend said, that's exactly right. What did Moody mean? For many are called, few become the chosen ones because they choose. 
Free will is not taken out of this because free will cannot take, be taken out. There are many. Who are the many? Go back into the story. It's everybody. Go into the byways and just grab them and ask them to come. Tell everybody about it. Everybody's chosen. Few become the, the chosen. All are invited. Few become those who make the choice, who become the chosen ones. You have in this story an incredible picture of three time periods of the ministry where Jesus was. They refused to come. Second of all, the, the early church, the first century alone, where up to 70 AD, where tremendous things happened when that temple and that city was leveled. You ever been in the garage and have one of those spiders that runs along the garage? You ever lift your foot to it and step on it? And before you step on it, a, a thousand babies run out. You ever had one of those? They carry those little spider babies on their stomach, I guess. And, uh, and, and so I, I, years ago, I stepped up and boom, they just took off. And so I was running all over the garage, you know, trying to get all of them before they took off. That's what happened in 70 AD. The judgment of God through the nation of Rome came in and stomped. And what was the result of the squash of the church? It multiplied and went everywhere. You can't stop the church by persecution, by shutting it down, by locking it down. You cannot stop the gospel and you cannot stop the church. Years ago, I, I, you know, every once in a while, some, some great preacher, I guess, they, they falls to sin and, and uh, hadn't happened in a while. We're probably due for somebody, some great scandal. It's, it happened last year. Happens all the time. And people have this response. Oh, that's really going to hurt the... You can't hurt the church. You can't hurt the faith. If people are shaken by anything, their faith wasn't in Christ and Christ alone. Ed had a great point in Sunday school. We don't follow the preacher. We follow Jesus Christ. You can't hurt it. There's going to be a wedding feast. There is a wedding feast. And nothing hurts it. Nothing stops it. When Rome, is, when Rome squashes Jerusalem, we have the fourth part. And here we are. We are the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he's pulling us all in. Three things, and I'll, I'll let you go. First of all, a marriage feast is a celebration of union. That's what it's all about. You might go for the food, but the real deal is the bride and the son and the, and, and, and the groom. It's a celebration of union. What we're celebrating in the church is the union with Jesus Christ. Our union of life with him that's the festival and feast. And the reason we do it as a church is because we feed off of one another and we need each other. And we need to be around each other. I won't go as far as to say we need to smell each other's breath because that's getting too close. But we need close enough, we need connection with one another in a very real sense. That's what the gospel is. That's what the marriage feast he's talking about. It's a celebration of union. Number two, marriage feast is defined by joy and peace. Joy and peace. No drudgery. No dragging around. Got to get through another church service. You know, when we get into sunny. It's joy and peace. That's what the festival is all about. Had a church member tell us, that was Steve. I'll just keep picking on Steve since he's all in our mind. He taught a Sunday school lesson here a few weeks ago. 
and uh, he got saved as a young man, got into a lifestyle that he shouldn't, and he said, he joined, but he kept going to church, and he said, the more I went to church, the meaner I got. If you get meaner by going to church, you're not there for the right reasons, and you're not understanding that this thing is about joy and peace of Jesus Christ. And number three, and I'm done, God's marriage feast is both now and in the future. If you're waiting for joy and peace when you get there, you're waiting too long. It's right now, right here. This is a foretaste of glory divine. Is it not? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and kindness. We thank you for your gentle invitation. And yet it is a strong invitation to a very special festival and feast, a marriage feast to the Lamb. And Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you cared about those scribes and Pharisees to continue talking to them. And may we continue to talk everywhere we go, especially in a setting that we live now, in a world that we live now that is reeling and they need real hope. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.org. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.